I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Listen today as I talk to Matt Newberg from Fort Myers, Florida. Matt leads a church in Southwest Florida that's grown from a small group of 30 to over 140. He talks about the things that have led to consistent growth, like focusing on the one thing. He talks about his superpower, or radical transparency and vulnerability. He finally talks about surrendering control quicker and allowing God to work in all situations. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no-regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I want to share some good news. A young man just got baptized last weekend. His name was Jackson Guthridge, and he's got a really cool story because we had a campus swap where disciples from the Flagstaff Planting came down and helped support our campus ministry over spring break, and it was awesome really appreciate it. I mean, we planted that church and then they sent back recruits to help us on our campus. And they're out tabling one day and a young man came up to their table and was interested. And the guys called me that day and said, hey, Rob, we found someone who's really seeking. And so I went over, we studied the Bible with him that night and he was super open. He's been coming to church since that time and he just got baptized last Saturday. And what was really neat is he said, hey, I'd really like to get baptized at Seven Falls here in Tucson. And initially I was hesitant because it's quite a climb to get up there. But he shared a story and he said, you know, when I was really in a very low point in my life, I went on a hike to Seven Falls just to clear my mind. And I went and I ran into these two ladies and they said, hey, you should go talk to those girls up ahead of you on the, on the trail. So he said he went up to the, to the Seven Falls and to the pool. And it's really awesome. It's, it's like seven waterfalls going into pools of water. They're beautiful, deep pools of water. And so he was sitting there reading a self-help book. And then the two women came up to him and said, what are you, are you, are you reading the Bible? And he said, no, of course not. He was, he was embarrassed that they thought of that. And they said, well, we do. And we'd like to study the Bible with you. And so they, they weren't members of our family of churches, but they showed him some scriptures. And he said that that was like a turning point for him. That's when he really started to open up to God and to seeking God. And so when he ran into those disciples on campus a few weeks later, he said, okay, maybe this is God working. And so he wanted to get baptized in the same place that was a turning point for him in his walk with God. And so those two women could have been angels. I don't know, but it was pretty awesome. So we took a hike up and it was, it was quite a climb. I mean, it's like, we started at eight in the morning. We didn't get up there until about 1130 and we didn't get back till about two, but it was fantastic to see him baptized. He's a, a sophomore at the University of Arizona, and now he's in Georgia at the campus training program. So God is working, really inspired. Have an awesome day. The CLIMB Conference is coming up November 30th through December 3rd, 2023 in Dallas, Texas. I hope you're planning on registering. If you haven't already, really, really, really want to ask you to sign up and go. You're going to get inspired 
you're going to get tools for growth. You're going to get encouraged. It'll be amazing. It'll be one of those times where you go, man, I'm so glad I signed up. I'm glad I didn't miss it. It's not one of those things that it's going to be good just listening to it online. If you have the option to be there in person, you're going to make friends. You're going to get encouraged. It'll meet a need that you probably don't even realize that that's there. So please register today at robskinner.com if you haven't already. I mentioned this before, but I'm looking for a leadership couple to plant the Sawarita and Green Valley Church in September of 2023. Now, this is a church planting of these two neighboring towns. They adjoin each other in southeastern Arizona. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful area that's super fast growing. And I shared before that, but there's been a couple driving all the way up from Green Valley. And nearly every Sunday, they're just so touched by the lessons. They're so hungry for the word of God. They just thank me for preaching the word to them. They got baptized just a few weeks ago. And when I see the passion and desire of their face, I'm reminded of the man of Macedonia from Acts chapter 16, when he said, said to Paul, come over and help us. And I feel like that's the spirit telling me, hey, come over and help us. Get, get something going here. We need a church for them and people like them. That's why I'm looking for a leadership couple to plant this beautiful area of Arizona. If you're interested in leading or going, please email me at rob at robskinner.com. Or maybe you're not interested, but you know of someone who'd be perfect for this. And this is where you've really helped me in the past is referring me to somebody else or saying, hey, Rob, you got to talk to this couple. And I really appreciate, you You know, I get emails or texts from people, hey, you need to talk to this person or you talk to them directly. Please help me out here because this is an amazing opportunity for somebody. And please help me if you if you know of somebody who's a good leader. And the, and the podcast really helped me to find Brian and, and Brian and Abby Mackey, who led my last planting two years ago to Flagstaff, Arizona. So if you can't go, if you'd like to support the planting with a gift, click the link in the bottom of the show notes and select the general fund option. Matt, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, we haven't met personally, but it's great to meet you and get to know you a little bit. One of the things that really struck me is that you're a self-supporting, you were a self-supporting minister. You were working a secular career. Then you kind of got into the ministry, and I look forward to talking about that and how you've grown your church. So why don't don't we start off with this question. How did you become a Christian? Uh, June 11th, 1992 is my born on date. Um, but uh, I came from agnostic, atheist, uh, Jewish background, um, and really had no respect or uh, only bad or negative feelings towards religiosity. I thought it was kind of a joke uh, for weak people, you know. So if you're in a third world country and you're struggling with, you know, putting uh, uh, food on the table, at least you had Jesus. And that's kind of how I lived my life uh, up until I was about 22 years old. Uh, before that I had a business in New York city, um, actually in the queen center mall in New York. I sold, I was a part of the big cell phone boom and ran my life into the ground, came back to South Florida where my dad and I, where I was raised to Hollywood, Florida, just, uh, South of Fort Lauderdale area. And I had done this full loop of completely smashing my life to bits and pieces, coming back to looking at the same ceiling that I left when I was 17 years old and asked myself, well, what just happened? Mm. Um, 
so my sister was a part of the church and she'd been probably the only one that stayed in touch with me while I was in New York city for about three years. And she invited me to this concert and it was put on by, uh, you know, the international churches of Christ over in Fort Lauderdale called colorblind and, uh, just was really moved. You know, I needed something good and unbeknownst to me, she stood me right next to the lead evangelist there <laughs> and, um, guy by the name of John Porter. And he invited me to church and somehow I got to church the next day. And I remember he preached on Galatians five nineteen. Oh boy! and I was the first time I actually even considered that this old book, this ancient book was real. And, and I thought, you know, he just read a list of my to do's mm -hmm. and if this book is real, I'm in big trouble. So, uh, <laughs> kind of funny spin on that. He goes, um, at the end of the sermon, and I don't know if you remember the days when we used to do this all the time from the pulpit, if you brought someone with you, challenge them to study the Bible today. And, uh, so he said that, but I was emotional and I'm at tears in my eyes, shaking lips, quivering, you know, and I kind of misunderstood what he said. So I, said to the guy next to me, a guy by the name of Ron Lennox, I said, hey, I challenge you to study the Bible with me today. Yeah, it was a rocky road because I had no faith. Uh, you, when you told me to turn my Bible to Matthew, I was going to the beginning, you know, in Genesis. I had no idea what the Bible was about. Um, so I kind of started my journey, you know, and my sister was there. Uh, so that, that helped me a lot too, to believe that this stuff was real. Um, it took me months of studying the Bible. And considering uh, that this was, in fact, truth, uh, because I would go back and forth. And I'm sure, you know, if any of you guys out there, and I'm sure you too, Rob, studied the Bible with an atheist, it, it always goes back to, oh, wait a second. You know, is this real? Right. Uh, as far as you go down in faith, you still kind of come back to that science versus God. And, you know, um, but they were great. They really helped me to uh, prove the scriptures using science. And, um uh, they did a great job. So anyway, so June 11th, 1992, became a, a disciple uh, over in Fort Lauderdale area. Okay. And how old were you at the time? 22 years old. Okay. So you went to college, were just graduating, didn't go to college? I, I started college. Um, it wasn't for me. I didn't see enough money in it um, in, in a degree. So uh, I, I was friends with a lot of affluent guys that had you know, affluent, really affluent parents right. uh, in that area. And um, one of uh, a really good friend of mine, his his dad was a billionaire. And he said, hey, we want to open this store over in Hollywood. Let's work together and sell cell phones and pagers. And uh, so I quit school and I did that. And uh, within the first year, turning 18 years old, um, I already had, you know, a pretty big bank account living on the beach. And he called me one day and said, hey, my dad's best friend owns the Queen Center Mall. Let's go half and half. You open the store up there. I'll be down here. I'll be your distributor in Hollywood. You know, you 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 build the, the mall, you know, the store out there. And if you need any help, I'll go up there and help you out. He was only a few years older than I was. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and I just dropped everything and, and went up there and took a chance. So there's a strong entrepreneurial bent to you. you you've got that in your blood. Yeah, I've not actually worked for anyone before. Uh, actually, <laughs> for the church was the first paycheck that I'd ever received. You know, before that, it was, you know, just, just making money. And mm -hmm. I think I, I worked scrubbing clubs at a golf course to get free golf for a while. But other than that, I mean, I really didn't, never really worked for anyone else. I like see. So, okay. So Hollywood, Florida to New York, and then back, you came back to Hollywood. Right. Okay. How'd you meet your wife? Uh, blind date. 
and she's still blind. So it costs a lot of money to the optometrist to keep her that way. But uh, <laughs> she was um, my sister had moved to Tallahassee, Florida, which is the northern part of Florida. And um, I was just up there on a big, huge group date that she was, you know, that her and some friends were putting on. And um, I met Dina and we went for a walk. And after that time we had spent together, I felt like she uh, was a person I was going to have in my life somehow for the rest of my life. Like we became best friends within maybe three hours. Um, So, you know, again, back in those days, you didn't have texting, you know, you had beepers and right cell phones were like 30 cents a minute so you didn't do a lot of that but uh you know i emailed my quiet times to her and (laughs) she responded and it was kind of neat because um really for the first time in my life this was a girl in my life that was helping me spiritually without having to rebuke me for doing something stupid you know Mm -hmm. what i mean Mm -hmm. so like i felt like this person could really change me you know i felt like i needed her uh in my life so you know we just developed that really good friendships. We had a long distance relationship for about nine, 10 months. And then um, she decided to move down. uh, I was actually in Palm Beach. It was a little bit further north of where I started um, as a Christian. And, um, you know, rest is history. We got married there. And I don't want to go too far ahead of your questions, but got married there. And then we moved over to the West Coast to support uh, an evangelist and women's ministry leader that was kind of salvaged, uh, before a big change in our, in our movement. So, okay. So would you mind giving me an overview of your career up until now? Career meaning ministry? Well, just what have you done since let's, let's say the time you got baptized, like what if you were working there selling cell phones and in that business? Okay. So what, what have you done since that time you got married in what, what year you got baptized in 92? You got married. Okay. So you got married nine, nine years later. Right. Okay. So you're close to 30 at that point. All right. So what yep. did, what'd you do since you give me just a, the bird's eye view of your career from your baptism up until now? Yeah. So, um, that, that type of business, cell phones and pagers took a big turn. And, um, it became, uh, very heavily, uh, unre- unregulated. <laughs> so if you were going to make it in that industry, you almost had to kind of buy and sell stolen equipment. I mean, it was just the only way to do it. And it was a short amount of time, but that was the big change that was going on. And it was going from analog, which was, you know, just regular analog, how many people could fit on a site to digital, which digital changed the whole industry and it, and it got regulated. But before then it was hard to be in that business and be honest. So, um, so I just jumped out and thought, I don't know what I'm good at. And a brother took me under under his wing and taught me the Macintosh business because he was like a Macintosh consultant. And I used to sell Apple computers um, out of my store. So I had, you know, I had some knowledge. And I became a small business consultant, really. I, I would go into businesses and help them to uh, get applications, mostly computer software, you know, that would help them to run their business and get them out of the office and into making money, you know, so to help them making money. So I did that for years and, um, it was great. It was a lot of fun and really enjoyed that up until really made some changes moving here uh, from the West coast. So I probably did that for nine years, but I was also in the ministry prior to as a singles minister. 
And that's a whole nother story. About six months after I became a Christian, I was put on staff in South Florida and I just couldn't handle the politics of it. You know, it was just not, and my character was not where it needed to be, to be mm -hmm. honest mm -hmm. and have integrity in a room of high powered ministers. Right. So, um, yeah, that lasted for about a year and a half, eh, about three years. I was on staff for about three years between my, the, the Miami church and the Broward church, which is, you know, two, two larger congregations, primarily working with singles, uh, some youth. Um, but you know, I, I had developed almost a personality disorder <laughs> because I learned how to be this minister guy at the same time, living kind of a dark life that wasn't open and super afraid and not transparent or vulnerable. Um, so I was fired, uh, from staff, um, uh, about three years later was dating at the time. So I lost my girlfriend, lost my job. Oh. You know, kind of, kind of sounds like a country song, you know, <laughs> kick the dog, whatever. I was moved out of that area to Palm beach because they felt that it wasn't, it wouldn't be, uh, you know, healthy for me to stay in the same ministry as I was leading. Right. And, uh, so I moved to Palm beach and that's kind of, you know, kind of found my, I found God then. I don't think I knew God up until I, um, I needed him. Hmm. Uh, and I, I think I, when I was taken off staff, I really, I had to make the, almost the same decisions that I made when I first became a disciple. Mm -hmm. What, what am I here for? Right. You know, am I really here for God or am I here for that, you know, adoration or friends? Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was good. I was a kind of a rediscovery of my, of my relationship with God. And I made a lot of decisions that, that time one, which, you know, one of your questions asked before was that, you know, my, my scripture, my base, my foundation became first John one, five, just living in the light, season, the light of fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all unrighteousness. And, um, I felt that if I could just live out that scripture, I'll get to heaven. And um, so here we are, you know, I'm years later, years past that. And you'll probably hear that in maybe one out of every four sermons that I preach. <laughs> so I still believe that same thing. Such a great passage. It's interesting you talk about kind of going through a, a like another born again process. I, I went through the same thing as a younger Christian. I was two years old as a Christian. I just got, had gotten into the ministry had a great beginning, lots of baptisms, and but then I just kind of lost lost sight of why I was doing it. You know, I was just I'm like, okay, so is the goal just you know to break my record from last semester and baptize two more people? You know, and I just just lost it, lost track of why I was doing it. Was very focused on performance rather than Jesus, and I went through a real tough time. Almost walked away, where you know I think I. I think people felt sorry for me. I was so miserable. And luckily I hung on, I hung in there, you know, by my, by fingernails, but I can, it's, it's weird when you're saying that I'm like, I think God does that on purpose with, with certain people just to refine them because I needed it. I mean, I came back with a new appreciation for the grace of God, for Jesus. And, you know, my, my motivation got totally refined. Absolutely. And it's happened a few times to me since. Yeah. So I feel like I, I meet God again about every five years. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's kind of sick. I'm, I'm, my life seems to be cyclical with that. Like right. my faith tested and refined so that I can find him again and prove that he's real, you mm -hmm. know, and, and that's another, 
discovery for me is if you boil it all down, when you say the word faith, it just means, do you believe that God exists or not? And mm -hmm. I, and I, it all comes down to that again, for me, mm -hmm. is God real? And if he's real, then this book works. The rest of it follows. If you don't believe he's real, then you really have a lot of hangups with what he has to say or things that happen in your life. So, right. Okay. Um, so mid nineties, you got fired from that. You went back to work and just where have you been since then? Yeah. So I became a small business consultant, um, my, about a year into marriage we were leading a pretty large teen ministry in the Palm beach area of South Florida. And uh, basically back then you were leading the teens, but you were also taking care of their parents and everything else that was going on. <laughs> and um, we hit a lot of walls with the teen ministry. Uh, we had a different philosophy. We wanted the parents completely involved. And we had this, this dream of like having this, this teen ministry that was teen worker, you had teen workers, but it was fed by the parents. Mm. And, you know, we, we pitched this idea that if we could just get the parents to disciple the teen workers, they would have this motivation that would blow the ministry out of the water right. because they would want to make sure these guys are doing well, you know, with their kids. Um, so we, over time, and uh, what we found was that we were really the ones that were in the way of the ministry, the teen workers, the teen leaders, because the, the parents would dump them into our ministry and hope that they became Christians, you know, after they spent 14 years with them, raising them, right. and giving them full heart and attention. And now they give them to all of us knuckleheads that are, you know, come from dysfunctional families and have no idea what it means to be a kingdom kid. Uh, so we felt like something was broken. So we got with the elders there, you know, on a trip and pitched this idea. And he's like, yeah, you guys are the problem. So it wasn't months later where he asked us to move to the West coast. He gave the ministry to the parents and um, we moved to the west coast of Florida, which is about a two hour drive across the gut of Florida to support um, a couple that was leading a church that didn't really it, it was hard for them to appreciate. And um, it was just a, it, they were having a tough time. And mm -hmm. I had studied the Bible with their son. So that was the connection that we had with them. Got it. So we went over and really, I mean, it was a ministry probably like 30 you know, and, and probably shouldn't have paid staff on at the time, but that's kind of what we were doing at the time. Maybe oversight was being given by another church at the time as well. So, um, you know, our churches have not, had not come, become autonomous yet. So there was someone that was responsible, you know, to making sure that this church did well, but, uh, the couple was going through a hard time. So we just became their fans and taking care of the one team that was in the ministry. We came from a teen ministry of like, 40 right. to one team and the parents were the lead evangelists and women's ministry leaders. So uh, we went like bowling, you know, we found other things to do and we'd only been married for about a year. So it was good for us too. Um, Cause we were running pretty hard as newlyweds. And I uh, became a realtor You know, I used the skills I had acquired as being a small business consultant and um, got into real estate and did mostly um, investment real estate. I mean, I didn't really deal with the, the the end user type product. You know, I wasn't like a sales guy that was on the road looking, you know, showing houses. I was really interested in the investment side uh, where guys were buying multiple properties and they were more businessmen than they were, you know, homeowners. Right. And, um, and I did that for years, opened up a property management company underneath that. Um, and that, that did really well. But uh, the couple 
this kind of where things turn. And I guess I can give you the intro of me becoming a, a minister, if that's okay. Uh, the couple that we moved over for about four years later, their son stayed healthy and we kind of built a, a, you know, somewhat of a teen ministry. The church got to about 45 or so. And they, they kind of moved on, uh, went to a different church because their son was graduated and he went to college, you know, so they really didn't have a reason to be in Southwest Florida. And they were still kind of not as appreciated as they really should have been by the congregation. So they stepped out. And um, we got a group together and just kind of had a talk and we felt like, you know, it'd be good just like not have paid staff right now. Mm. You know, we've got guys that could do a lesson. I said, I, I can, and I didn't say this, but they were saying, Hey, you have some ministry experience. Why don't you preach on Sunday? Mm. You guys do the finances. You're the, you know, you're the pastor right. oversight, you know, eldership couple. And we just played church mm. and it was a blast. You know, we had a really great time. Um, so I was working 60 hours a week with real estate and preaching on Sunday. So if someone complained about the message, I'd say, hey, you got it next week. You know, I mean, it was just a different type of freedom. Um, and we had a blast. We really did. It was a lot of fun. And um, we took the pressure from one person that was the quote unquote leader and spread it through the church. So where there was a full, there was a buy-in for everyone because everyone was, I mean, there might've been like natural leadership and of course that develops, but at the same time, there was no one to point at anymore. So, you know, took the excuses out of the room, you know, the, the you know, to, to kind of put it mildly, we had to all kind of learn to stand on our own two feet spiritually. Right. And I think it was really good for our church, but um, yeah. So it, it, we did that for some time actually. And it was great. We had a lot of fun and I was going to the retreats, you know, our leadership retreats. And this was post change of our movement. We we're trying to get our feet underneath us as a movement and we were autonomous. So we had some savings down here in Southwest Florida. We were no longer had, we no longer had oversight from a larger church. So a lot of us were experiencing these new things. So we were going to these, I was going to these leadership retreats with a lot of my heroes and the faith, watching them stand up with their Bibles in these full-on arguments, you know, about <laughs> doctrine and how churches should be run. It was like the birth of something new right. here in Florida. And I remember times just, you know, being on our faces, you know, with these leaders and guys that I really looked up to, really hearing their hearts for the first time. And, um, and I think that was when I really considered that maybe it's not so impossible for me to consider leading a church again. I think mm. my first experience was just such a debacle. And so foreign for me to actually have character and, but I realized none of us have character. You know what I mean? Like all <laughs> of us are, all, none of us really know what we're doing right. and um, the best of us are a mess. And I, I learned mm -hmm. a lot through those times. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those guys ended up becoming my best friends and um, in that room. And the same guy that put me on staff the first time um, really told me to consider, you know, taking, you know, going into the full-time ministry again and leading that church that I'm in. And, um, but it was confusing because we were making pretty good income and I wasn't sure if that was the path. So I came home and talked to my wife about it. You know, she's an engineer and, you know, she's, she loves her job. She still does work uh, full-time in a secular job. So we've kept that model going. Um, and I told her, I asked her, I mean, what do you think? And she said, let's pray about it. You know? So we, we prayed, we prayed about it for about a year, fasted, got advice. Um, and finally, uh, about a year after just really thinking and pray about it, I sold off 
my portion of the company and uh, jumped in and first, you know, first time I ever started, you know, had a, a fixed income, <laughs> you know what I mean? We downsized, right. we were starting to have babies too. So that was a big thing as well. Uh, this is really great for small church leaders. So kind of shift just for a second is that what, what it's like, you get it to a saturation point where you're working 40, 50 hours in a, in a, in a secular job, but your church is growing and that's awesome and great. And, but it's not a bunch of new Christians. You have, you know, people trying to raise their children, there are marriage problems, there are special needs, there are divorce care, there's, you know, drug addiction, there's, I mean, everything under the sun. And if we don't have someone that wakes up in the morning thinking about that, um, the church suffers. And that's what I saw. I thought we have to hire someone or, and I need to get out of the way or I need to just go all in, but I, but I can't do this anymore. And my wife, even her, she's like, look, you got to choose a lane. You're never home. You know, kids are going to start screaming, you know, stranger danger when you walk through the door, right. if you're not careful. So, so that's really, that was the catalyst actually, you know, is really considering what's best for the church, not necessarily what's best for us. And I think it took prayer to take us, you know, put us to the side and really look to see what God's will is here and what will be best for the congregation. And everyone trusted us because we were kind of growing to, up together. It was very blue collar you know, and it mm-hmm. wasn't someone hired in from outside. Um, and there was a lot of damage in the church at that time, too. So it, it really, I think it lent itself to that move. Um, what, year, so. what, what year was that? And where where specifically were you located? What? We're in Southwest Florida. We're still here. Okay. So we've been here for 20 years. Can you name some towns or cities that that would be nearby? Fort Myers, where Hurricane Ian, okay. you know, uh, Fort Myers area. I think you you referenced the video <laughs> on a text. But uh, yeah, Fort Myers, Naples. Uh, between the two counties, which is Collier and Lee County, we're about 1.5 million. So it's not a small area, but it has been one of the top uh, growing areas for the last 10 years in the U S. So it is, since we've moved here, it is, you know, it is definitely morphed into a different culture here. I mean, there's, there's every color background language here now it used to, it had this kind of undercurrent of Midwestern feel when we first got here, it was nothing like the East coast, Southeast coast of Florida. Um, but now it, it, you know, it's very multicultural. It actually fits our you know, a lot of our goals and dreams as, you know, in, a, in our international churches of Christ model, you know? Uh, so anyway. So what year was that that you decided to go full-time in, as a professional minister? Uh, that would be 09. Yeah. 09. Okay. And you've done that since you've been in the same place and you've done that since that time. Yeah. We've been here for 20 years and I've been since 09. So that was eight years after we moved here is when I did that, when I took the, the job full-time with the church and we, you know, we had to be creative congregation of 50 taking on a salary. So my wife works full time. She handled all the benefits and it was kind of the equivalent of the church giving me a bag of cash under the table, you know, um, because they didn't have to worry about any of the benefits, you know, healthcare, any of that, that was all taken care of by my wife's job. Um, so it, it lent, you know, again, we had like a, I mean, a little, a little neat snippet. It's like, we, we sat down we made the decision. I said, you know, my goal is for the church, not for me. You know, I said, I'm a self-sufficient guy. If I need to go back out there and beat the streets and make money, I'll do it again. It's no big deal, but let's put together a three-year plan 
that we have three years of savings to give me a, that bag of money. Um, you know, and of course we're, we're working with the, the, the giving of the church, you know, to put that little equation together. And if nothing changed from now till then, but my goal is that we'll never look back and, and, and not be able to hire someone, you know, let's get the church to where it's stable enough to hire someone to take this job, you know, and that was my dream. And so the plan was really to step out in three years. Um, and let's see what happens, you know, and get a seasoned train guy in, you know what I mean? And so, uh, and that's kind of how I felt. I'm like, look, I'm a hired hand. I'm like, you know, I'm like the, you know, just kind of the pinch hitter, you know, I'm going to do a great job. I'm going to try to get you a home run and get, you know, get, get some scoring. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I know that I'm not a guy that, you know, is ministry, you know, trained to Boston or, you know, some of these bigger programs. Um, and that's kind of how I started. So ironically, three years later, we're at it. We're out of a, uh, a elementary school cafetorium. We've grown to about 70 ish, 75. And our finances were never better than ever before. So now we're going into our a full-time location, which is kind of a strip mall that we just basically cleared out, uh, four units and took them all. And we made kingdom kids area and we, you know, sanctuary and everything. If you walk in, it just looks just like a church. I mean, you're in my office right now. So I've got a full-time office and, wow. um, and there we are five years later, uh, the church is continuing to grow and people are looking at me like, yeah, you know, that this is your job, right? Like there's no, <laughs> this is what you're supposed to be doing with your life, but it was kind of neat how it happened. And I think that's how, that's how it had to happen for me because the politics and all of that other stuff you know, I was, it was the antithesis of what I wanted. Like everything about ministry, quote unquote ministry was nauseating to me. I hated the whole idea because of my, my first experience. I mean, it really, it had nothing to do with the ministry. It was just all of who I became in the ministry. Right. So I had this fear and I still have it. You know, I still, I think I still react, you know, probably overreact to, um, uh, some of the large church atmosphere in my PTSD starts to kick in, you know, and I, and I start acting weird and thinking that I've got to be someone that I'm not, you know, all the temptations right, right. are right outside my door. Um, so uh, there's a lot of benefits to being in a small church too. You can create your own culture. And that's something that uh, we enjoy doing. Uh, well, the, the, the church has grown. I mean, that's, it's amazing. So you went there when it was like 30, you mentioned, right now it's it 140. Was. You took it over in 2009. How'd you do it? Can you, I mean, what's helped it to grow? Okay. So that's a really good question. And I don't think that there is, um, there's not one answer to that, but I think that there's something that if I were to distill something down to when our church had its greatest growth, um, it would be, uh, a personal experience that I went through. And I think I was kind of explaining this to you on the phone. So I'll, I'll shorten it so I can get to the point. And I never did get to the point when we were on our conversation. Um, I hit a wall spiritually realized that I was living vicariously through all of the activity as opposed to have my own relationship with God. There I go again. Right. That was the thing that happened the first time. And I, I just went on a long walk, long prayer walk, made a decision, uh, on that, and that time with God that I would never do that again, that my time with God is intimacy and that I'm never going to use our intimacy, 
uh, publicly. And that's my time with God. That's my connection. And it's between me and God. And so we, we could have a sermon series and all that. Now I, I could use golden nuggets that I find within my quiet times. So don't get me wrong, but that won't be my motivation to have a quiet time ever again. You know, because I realize again, my character, whatever that might be, is not it's too low in lying fruit. You know, I'm a right. sales guy. I right. want the quick way, the quick fix. Let's right. get, let's move on. So, I mean, I'm all the way to this, this day. I still, I have my own private series, my own quiet times that I do it has nothing to do with, you know, what we're doing uh, as a church. And sometimes there's overlap, but uh, most of the time, you know, we're kind of moving in this direction. I've got my private time. Anyway, through that, I discovered something. And um, one of our elder type guys, he's actually from the Chicago area. He, he, uh, he uh, is a retired uh, Starbucks manager. And there was a there was a time in Starbucks that they were making this big change. And they, they said, look, we need to choose a lane like, you know, all the co- coffee companies are suffering out there. They were suffering. They were spread too thin or whatever. So the CEO gets gets this whiteboard out and I'm probably messing up his story. But he gets this whiteboard out. And he says, what's the what, what are some of the things that we deal with on a regular basis? You know, w- what are our goals? What are our dreams? And, and it was it was everything under the sun, customer satisfaction, uh, you know, even all the way down to store hours and 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 uh, style of restaurant, where they should plant these restaurants, this, that and the other thing. Right. What kind of foods they should have. You know, they wanted to be like a pen. Some people want to be Panera Bread, you know, or whatever. And so they couldn't decide. And he says, we need to have one thing one thing that we concentrate on that's going to take care of all these other problems that we have. And they ended up choosing, and it's the philosophy, it's not the specifics here um, with my illustration here, but they ended up choosing um, employee satisfaction, which was like, what, you know, but when you walk into a Starbucks today, you see it, you see how they protect their employees. They, they dress how they want. And most of these employees are there even when they're off, like they, it's their home. You know, but if there if, if there's a dispute between a customer and an employee, they'll choose the employee's side, even to this day, mm. um, because they know that if the employees are happy, then they're going to treat the customers right. You know, like they they chose that one thing. So I'm explaining what I'm going through with Sam, and he go, he just holds his finger up like this. And he goes, "It's just one thing," and we turned over to Matthew 12 verse 30, and I looked and I I wanted to find out what would Jesus do. And, um, and this is right after the, the, uh, Jesus is giving the, the, this great answer, right. And the Pharisees get together and they hear, we hear this conversation with the Sadducees, right. And they, and they get this, the, the, their best of the best to ask one question to Jesus. Let's trick him once, once and for all. And they ask him, which is the greatest commandment. And he's not talking about the 10. They're talking about the mitzvah, right. The 630 some odd, uh, commands that they had developed post 10 commandments right. um, that they were heaving on each other. And Jesus was so clever there. And this is what I imagine in my mind that he just held up one finger and he goes, it's just one thing. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm. And of course he gives them that stomach shot and love your neighbor as yourself, you know? And that's what we did as a church. I said, if I were to distill everything down to what we need to do, we're going to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's it. And we're going to see what he does. Um, within a year, and when I say a year, I, I, I developed a series around this. I mean, it's all documented, which is really cool because I had no idea what God was going to do. I'm like, we're going to let go of everything, all of our processes, all of our ideas, all of the vision. 
We're going to distill it down to one thing, kingdom kids, whatever it might be. If it's not loving God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength doesn't fit underneath that. We're getting rid of it. You know, and I think I read this book, uh, the simple church, it, it, you know, and kind of dabbled with it and it kind of gave me some ideas. And within about an 18 month period, I'll be fair. Um, I baptized my father, um, never said the word evangelism from the pulpit. And we had more people out to church than we knew what to do with. Like we had more studies going on than we knew what to do with. So I had to go through the study series for the church because half the church didn't even, we didn't even know how to study the Bible with people, but they were just concentrating on God and their job was changing. Their neighbors were seeing the difference. Their, their marriages were flourishing. I'll give you a, a, a quick example of what we taught with our family group leaders during this time. You know, my wife and I became like, quote unquote, experts. And then we weren't in any way, shape or form. We were looked at as experts. So all the problems came to us. And that's another small church setup um, that they think that the guy needs to know everything about finances, marriage, you know, counseling, uh, aging parents. I mean, you name it, they go to you for it. And what I realized is like, even just I'll give you one example with a marriage, you know, say that you and your wife are, are having a dispute. Uh, we said, you know, we're not, we're not doing this anymore. We're not fit because we're not family counselors. Like, and, and on top of that, family counselors get it wrong a lot. Like how, so we figured something out and it was, it was organic. We're trying to do something supernatural and you can't do that without the supernatural. Duh. Right. So if, you know, if a couple comes to us and say, Hey, we're fighting, she's doing this, he's doing this, he's being a jerk. Well, she's never, you know, she never respects me. He doesn't love me. Where's the cards when we first got married, you know, like for this, that other thing. And, and we've all been in those situations. You're just like, you know, where do we start? My wife and I said, you know what? We're going to do one thing. We're going to ask them, how are your quiet times going? And of course it's deafening because if you're fighting, most likely you're drifting away from God. And then we'd ask, are you praying together? So here's our challenge. Pray together every day have a quiet time on your own every day and then let's get back together in a week two things would happen rob one we would get back together in a week and they'd go oh it's so funny i forgot we were fighting like because we would bring it up say hey so how's that dispute going they're like oh the the fight <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. no 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 we're, we're we're way past that but look what i'm finding in the scriptures and we've been praying every day and and now we're thinking about her mom moving her mom and like all these miraculous decisions get made in prayer, you know, and, and they're, they're bonded or the other, and the other would happen a lot as well. Pretty frequently is that you'd find that they don't know how to pray. They haven't been praying. No one really taught them how to pray. Uh, so they like, ah, oh, you know, I, I, I close my eyes and we start and we just say the same prayer over and over again. And we're just not connecting with God or, I really, I don't know what to read. Every page in the Bible feels like a hundred pounds. Like these are just things that I would hear, right. but I can help them with that. Like my wife and I were like, now that we can help you with like, so, so all right, bro, you call me in the mornings. I'll pray with you. Have you ever put a prayer list together? Let's do one right now, you know, or, Hey, look at my library. I've got hundreds of books that are getting dust on them because I can't get to them or I've read them before. Choose one that fires you up and have and read it every day and have a quiet time every day. Let's get used to having quiet times. I mean, I could teach you have a quiet time. I could show you how to pray, but I can't fix your marriage. You know, I can't be there all the time. And that and so that that worked its way became kind of 
a part of our DNA and purity. Brother would come to me and said, bro, I just can't overcome this. And I'm looking at that. I'm looking at this. Instead of me going, hey, let's put this uh, special program on your phone. So every time you go into a website, it'll it, it'll notify or whatever. Mm-hmm. Nothing against those things. They're helpful. They're tools, resources. But we wanted to get to the root. Like, bro, how are your, how's your walk with God going? What are you reading? How often are you praying? Are you praying with the bros in your household? Okay, here's your challenge. This week, you pray every day with the bros. You know what I mean? And every day you have a quiet time. And at the end of the week, I want you to tell me, like, do a paper on your quiet time. Right. You read that paper. (laughs) Well, at the end of the week, what we would have, one of the two. One, bro, I've never done better on my purity. I cannot believe, you know, or I don't know how to have a quiet time, bro. Mm. You know, I've realized I just don't know how to connect with God. But I can't be there when he comes home at 11 o'clock. Right. And he wants to go through the reel on his phone. You know, I mean, I just can't, you know, we can't manage that stuff. So we actually freed up our family group leaders to assist people to get to God. So what happened in that time is we got our eyes off of trying to fix everything. And we're all weighed down with all the negatives and the problems. And we finally are free to like, all right, I'm a hunting after God now. And it was so attractive the singing was amazing. We never sang like that before. The The reach out was amazing. And I never said the word evangelism. I never did a lesson on, hey, you need to reach out to your neighbors. It was never about that. It was looking at like character studies of David. We went through the whole book of Judges, you know, because it was a great picture of what you look like with God, what you look like without God, you know, and right. over and over human nature. And, and God, within that time, um, you know, going back to, to Sam, Sam uh, was a snowbird for a while and not a pure snowbird, but like three months up in Illinois and the rest down here, he was on his snowbird time up there. And I called him up and I said, uh, Sam, I don't know if you've realized, but we've added almost 50% to our church in 18 months. And he just began to weep because we knew what we had gone through. Like we were there, you know, mulling over the one thing and we just made the decision to get out of the way and just let God do his thing. Um, so anyway, I mean, I hope that, that yeah. helps. But, uh, now, now let me, yeah. let me ask you this question. If, if there's one thing that sets you apart from other leaders, a superpower, what, what, what do you think that would be? What, what is it you feel like you're bringing to the table? That's different. Yeah, that's easy for me. Um, it's transparency and vulnerability. So I'm that guy in Florida. Um, so if, if there's a message that needs to be done <laughs> that has to do with confession of sin or, you know, let's get out of our own way. Um, boasting in our weaknesses. That's, uh, that's what I've learned. Okay. That's my secret sauce. Okay. So uh, that's, just, that, that's uh, del- delighting in your weaknesses. Yeah, but uh, I don't think you could fake that. So I think there's another part of that that I'll, I'll, I'll give you. Well, I've had interns and I've tried to pass that on. But what happens, like I'll, just an example, when I preach, um, I try to take some words out of my vocabulary. One is you. So I take the word you out of my vocabulary. It's either us or me. And uh, so 
but it's it, that's organic because I, I really feel that way because <laughs> I'm being open and I'm, you know, busting open my heart and I'm being vulnerable and I feel embarrassed, you know, or whatever. And you know how that feels when you confess sin publicly or you talk about, you know, something that's really going on deep down inside. And it puts me in a position that, I mean, I, how can I accuse or tell someone to do something? It's us, <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Right. Or at, at best it's, it's us, but it's really me. So it's hard to like to put that on, but at the same time, I think there is an exercise in it because we did have one intern that, that changed from really being a you guy to a me guy, which was that practice of, of consistent openness, mm -hmm. you know, and vulnerability. And I, and I think that that is a quality of a leader that needs to stand out, oh, you know, absolutely. is that we're willing to face the demons, you know, right. and, right. and, uh, and lead in that direction. But so it's, it's what I do. Well, we had a uh, conference and I, your time's probably chunking away now, but we, we, uh, I was a part of the single service team, which is a national team that oversees the singles. And now it's international, which is awesome. And uh, Wade Cook was a part of that at the time. And uh, Bill Molden is one of the teachers in our, our movement. Uh, Marshall Mead, who uh, led the conference, the world conference, oversaw the conference. So a lot of guys that were willing to just kind of do the heavy lifting jumped in. And I, I think I just wasn't paying attention when someone asked if someone can do it and everyone else stepped back. And I was, you know, oh, wait, you know, um, but I, I did, they asked me to do the, the main keynote for the men. And I'm like, dude, you've got all these Larry Reed. Right. I mean, he's, these guys are galactic speakers. <laughs> in, in, like, I, I, I just sit at their feet and learn. Like, I love these guys and they're church leaders and they do amazing work. And I didn't understand, you know, at the time. So uh, I did this message and the message actually was on the one thing, ironically. And, and I've got a couple different ways to express that. And I get up and there's, there's the, the room is probably 450, 500 men, single guys. I stand up here. I am, I'm five, seven on a good day, balding. You know what I mean? And I'm like feeling insecure and like, who am, why am I up here? What am I doing? All these dudes, man. I, I feel like the, the least of them. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to use my superpower. So I had them close the back doors and I had been struggling with some thoughts. My wife wasn't there and all these really pretty single girls walking around. And I had some of these things rolling around in my head. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go there. man. So I got up and I just confessed sin for the first seven to 10 minutes. And I talked about my struggles. I talked about, man, last night I was really tempted to look at stuff on the internet. I hadn't been tempted like that in like months. And I'm like, I almost failed last night. I think the only reason I didn't, I was just telling it was because of you guys, you know, like I knew I <laughs> message and i had to stop myself and and i wish i was noble enough to call my wife and pray together but i wasn't i was like the sleazy you know and i just confessed and i did this message and when i got the done, done with the message itself that i had actually planned to speak on i felt like that was probably one of the better messages i've ever preached mm -hmm. there was a line of guys all the way to the back of the auditorium and i'm like and that doesn't happen in a small church right you know and right. so i'm not really used to that you know what they all wanted to talk about? My first seven minutes. Hmm. I don't even know if they heard my message. They just <laughs> cared that I had the courage to confess my sin. And wow. they're confessing sin and we're crying together and we're praying together. So I think those are some of the the moments that I've had. Like it really, it, it is something that um, you asked if, if I had a superpower. Right. I think God 
through, you know, it's organically learned. I mean, I, it wasn't right. like something that I put on. Maybe it's right. more like Superman. I take the disguise off. Right, right. You know? That's um, that's rare. Matt, what so, ad, what advice would you give to self-supporting ministers, people that are in smaller churches and they're just struggling to make ends meet and they, they want to see yeah. great things happen, but it's frustrating, it's challenging. Coming out of COVID, it's even more challenging. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and we had some challenges too coming out of COVID as well. Um, I think some of the small churches, well, maybe all of us, um, we're not, we're not considered a, the small church anymore. You know, it's kind of funny. Like I don't even get invited a lot of times to the, the hundred or under stuff, which, uh, amen. We still run it that way, but I think taking advantage of the freedom, like if there's an unpaid ministry, there's a freedom there that I think you, there's like a glory and being an unpaid example that a paid guy doesn't have in his pocket that he could pull out. And I think there's, it's a short amount of time. If you're, if you're going to grow it, you, you can't do that indefinitely. You do eventually need someone that's going to wake up in the morning thinking about the church full time, but there's a time that we can take advantage of that position that we can go to the leadership meetings. And let me tell you something, you walk in as an unpaid guy and you show up to those retreats, all of those paid guy, guys go, whoa, because he's working 50 hours you're in, in the same amount of Bible studies or maybe more Bible studies because you're not having to do as much organization and you show up those meetings and it's like, it's glorious, you know, and there's a, and you can say whatever you want. What are you going to do? Fire me. You know right. what I mean? Like, so right. there's this freedom that comes with an unpaid lay leadership position, but it also removes the excuses from the congregation. Um, you know, once you get paid and I remember someone telling me this right before I took the job here, um, Actually, the guy who counted the cost with me, he said, um, it's all going to change. When you take the job, it's all going to change. Not, not, I mean, you can really work hard for it not to, but it's just a fact, you know, that you're the one, you get paid to do this. And it does, and it changes. And I've had to grow into that position, you know, to have a clear conscience and not think that I've got to work 150 hours a week, you know, to, because they're paying me. And how can I stand in front of this congregation that's giving their contribution and me not? take out the garbage or put the chairs out or something. So, but when you're not, you really can call others. So I think uh, part two of this, right. Is I was able, and I felt this freedom. I could demand discipleship mm. from, or discipling oversight from neighboring church, full-time staff, because you're doing the hard work. You're not getting paid. And I think there's a freedom to go, Hey, I need help. We need elders to come over here and help me with the situation, period. Like, I don't care if they're busy, right? <laughs> you know, right. because you just, there's this freedom that you have, like, Hey, we need help, uh, or other evangelists to come in and guest speak. I never had so many evangelists guest speak when, until I took, <laughs> once I took the job. It was like, it was over, you know, <laughs> but I had all these guys coming in, flying in on their own dime because they knew that we, you know, like we're a smaller church and. Let, let the bigger church pay for it. It's all good. We got it all, bro. We don't want anything from you guys. We just want to come and serve. Um, Kingdom Kids training. You know, we demanded it. We need your Kingdom Kids coordinators to come over here and train us. Mm. Uh, we need help. Administration, you know, et cetera. All of these kind of parts, shepherding. Um, so I think there's a time, uh, and hopefully it's not for super long, like you do become a, a church that, is a little bit more self-sustaining, but I think that there's a time where they don't have uh, 
the funds to pay. And, and we, we took our time too. So we didn't rush into hiring someone and I'm glad we didn't obviously, but we, we felt like it needed to be the right fit for us. There's no silver bullet. And, and I think I see smaller churches think that if they just hire this guy or this couple, it's going to fix everything. And it doesn't, it really doesn't. It, it, I think it's, there's something to a smaller congregation having to work through this stuff together that builds that character and integrity. Uh, and they're really your future lead. They're the, they're your future shepherds. They're your future elders because they stuck it out and they remember the days, you know, so you're, you're building your story um, together. So mm. anyway, um, I hope that answered your question, but no, that's great. What, what's working coming out of COVID? Like people were in disarray. I mean, it's yeah. lots of isolation. <clears throat> what have you done to strengthen people over the last, let's say six months or so? To, to get them back on their feet um, after after the pandemic. Yeah, that's good. Just like everyone else, you know, we celebrated the first time we came back and then the we had a second wave, you know, but we did online service. We did the best that we could. I think the first time I did a sermon, I don't know if you remember, it was probably mid-March, right? March 14, 15, 16, right. you know, like that weekend. And everyone shut everything down. We thought it was the apocalypse. Like it was all, right. everything's over, right. you know, we're all going to die. So let's do the, you know, the, the sayonara sermon. I don't know. But I remember setting my iPhone up with Facebook live and going live, you know, and it was looking up my nostrils, you know, as I preached, <laughs> you know, which none of us were really, a lot of us weren't doing that. And all the churches that were doing it were like, aha, see, I knew you'd need us, you know, sooner or later. Um, so we were doing just like everyone else, you know, Sundays, we were doing online services and we grew into that, which was great. It's a big part of our ministry now, which is, which is great. Um, but coming out of COVID, uh, I think a benefit to being a small church. And since that's what we're talking about here, it's a different meeting um, than when we get together with our other Florida leadership. I think the benefit of a small church is that the big church and the small church, they both, they both have their purpose. The big church, it it's awesome. This is where all the big activity happens. The mission teams get planted out, the, the training centers, the, I mean, and the, and the books are written, written within the small, the larger churches. I mean, the, the, the teachers are there, the, the, the head elders and these guys, uh, the evangelists that are leading these evangelist teams. I mean, I, 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 Every day, I thank God for those guys that are willing to sit in these meetings and 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 argue gender roles. You know what I mean? Right. So I'm like, right. this is awesome. The small church is not built for that, but the small church has a capability to turn on a dime, and and that's what I love about the small church. Uh, large church is like an aircraft carrier; it takes miles to turn around because you have all these small groups and all these systems that all have to make a turn. You've got teachers committee and eldership committees and all that. And they all have to get on the same page before they, they start turning that wheel. A small church is like, look, we're going to have a meeting on zoom tonight. Hopefully you can show up. Most of the church shows up. You make a decision that night and you turn mm. and you make a turn. So after COVID, some of the things that we did was like, look, we got to get back together. Mm. It's, it's not many of us. You know what I mean? It's not like we're turning a, a, an aircraft carrier. Let's have park services. Let's be creative on how we can start getting back together. Cause that's our, that's our, if it's church has a, if, if it's a small church has a superpower, first of all, most of, well, I shouldn't say most, 
there's a larger percent of our disciples that are in small churches and they're in large churches. So if we think that a small church doesn't have as much impact, we're missing it. Um, the small church is, 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 it makes a massive impact in our movement. And we, I think we need to be the first ones to make the turn a lot of times and show that it can be done. We're at full capacity. We got full capacity within a couple months. Um, everybody got back unless they had some immune sensitivities. Right. I mean, we were saying, Hey, don't come. Or if you're coughing, you know, we didn't want people to, to, to panic or, or feel uncomfortable, but we really, we really frown upon the culture and, you know, and I don't want to offend anyone. I really, I don't, and I'm not, uh, this is not meant for that, but, um, we still do. We frown upon the online culture. Like our goal is still to get them in the chair. Right. So if they meet us online, that's cool, but we don't want it to stay that way. Like right. you need to come in and meet us face to face. Cause that's where the re real change happens. We want to sit at a coffee shop. We want to sit in a living room and do a Bible study. Um, we're not studying with people online unless they're out of town or something. I mean, if they're local, we're, we're working to get them there. So we just kind of put a stake in the ground, you know what I mean? And we said, we're going to be in person right? and we have an option that's online, but you know, that, that's not our goal. So we just, you know, so post uh, COVID, we really concentrated on getting back to family. You know, and, and and I think that's something that the small church can do quicker than anybody else. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. Anyway, let, that, let me go back to what you talked about earlier about the one thing you you talked to okay. a friend, and you said you need to focus on the one thing. You talked about just loving God, making it simple, keeping keeping the playbook simple in this in the smaller church, right. and you focused <clears throat> on hey, how are your quiet times? You know, are you are you walking with God? That's all good. What would a person like, but there's a lot more that goes on in a church. I mean, if you're at 140 now, you can't be running that all by yourself. And, and so how, what's a person's takeaway? Like I'm leading a small church. Others who are listening are leading small churches. Yep. How do you implement that? It's just saying, Hey, have quiet times. I, I think there's a hundred percent agreement, like amen to that. Love God. I don't know if there's anyone who would disagree with that. Hopefully nobody is going to disagree with that, loving, loving God and loving your neighbor. But how would you implement it practically? Like how would you make that a platform for your church that you can actually point to and say, hey, here's our plan and this is why it's working? Yeah. I, th I think, um, I think you, you get what you want. And if you want and you kind of mentioned it before, if you want baptisms, then that's probably what you're going to focus on from the pulpit. That's what you're going to right. kind of discuss in your small group meetings. That's what you're going to, to do with your leadership, you know, your small group leaders. And that's where your accountability will lie is who came out. I mean, especially if you're a very organized guy, I'm not, but a lot of the organized guys that have a business plan, you know, they'll say, okay, how many guys, how many people do we have at the church and, and how many Bible studies can we get from that? And how, you know, we can work it, work kind of through this system. Um, and I think anything else that you aim at, you're, you're going to get it. If you want a great uh, youthful church that has got contemporary music and you're attracting the youth, 
if you're aiming at it and you're taking on the day and you start writing your hopes and dreams and you know, your good news will be about it and your discussions will be about it. Your marriage will be thinking, you know, it, it will be about that. If it's about youth and family, then you, you, you know what I mean? I think anything that we want, we're right. going to get. Right. And, I, and I know that this is kind of a brain melt and I don't mean to um, oversimplify this. Right. If you, if we're aiming at God, um, those other parts fall into place mm. and it's a lens at which we're traveling through it's not it's not a category it's a direction mm-hmm. so when i put kingdom kids underneath that lens the question becomes is our kingdom kids program glorifying god mm. or is it just a bunch of organized daycare mm-hmm. so are our kids learning the bible are they learning how to have quiet times like are Oh, wait a second. So they're not, they don't even know the books of the Bible. What it does is then it points onto the parents. Well, how are the parents doing? I mean, they're not teaching their kids. I mean, this is just a hypothetical example, but you, you quickly find that we're not going in the direction of God here. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with a marriage or a family, you know, that seems to be in disarray. You start asking questions and you realize, well, okay, bro, like your kids are staying out. How late? Like, I'm not saying you can't have your kids stay out that late, but when's the last time you said, as for me and my household, we'll serve the Lord. Right. It, it just simplifies your choices. Right. right. Um, and it opens up a whole door. Now, I know that you open the door and it goes to a room with a whole lot of other doors. I get. <laughs> but at the same time, as a leader, it simplifies your leadership yeah. because even say worship, like a lot of times for a small church, it's okay. How are we going to have a successful worship service when we're small and we got 25 people? Sometimes right. you have five, you know, quarter of the church is up right on front and you're like, this is awkward. Do we really, should we really have speakers, bro? Like, you know, or should this be more like a, you know, so we, we, we could debate about these things, but if the question gets taken off the table, that this brother that's the song leader is trying to live out his conductor dreams. And the sister is just, you know, she gets her identity from the songs that she sings and the people in the congregation are going, well, I wouldn't sing that song. You know, if you go, what's going to glorify God, right. It'll bring a lot of the things to the surface. So, which really is what we need to deal with. Like, bro, you're getting your identity through the song, like through song leading. Right. But what are you studying? So essentially yeah. you're saying it, it's a filter. It's a value system that guides all the decisions that you make daily within sure. the church. Okay. That, yeah, that, I mean, like, that makes sense to me. That, that clarifies yeah. it. That's great. One final question, Matt, what advice would you give to the person who wants to make this life count? Yeah. Um, all I can tell you is what I've found. And I think what I've found and it really I think it came to me probably within the last couple of years and it almost has given me the ability now. And I know it's going to sound uh, almost irresponsible, but take this with a grain of salt. There are many situations now that I could sit back and I can break out the popcorn and watch it is that I'm learning um, to surrender quicker and to st- stop fighting God to have control. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I kind of wished I'd learned that 15 years ago uh, that a lot of times, and maybe we talked about this in the beginning of our conversation. A lot of times I'm the problem. My problem is I'm not letting go of control. 
and I want to see my plan, you know, pushed through, or I think my advice is the best advice, um, as opposed to how can I surrender quicker to God? And what is God trying? I mean, it's all about surrender. And that's kind of what I found. Like everything that I'm working with is just from God. You know, anything good in my life is from God. So I've got to learn how to surrender that over to God so he can have control over it. My ceiling is about nose high, you know, <laughs> but God's ceiling is, is heavenly. You know, like he could take my church to a place where I could never take it. My abilities fall way short. I mean, I got from CEO, surgeon, um, you know, uh, pharmaceutical sales guys in, in my church all the way down to, you know, a uh, teen teenager with their first job and everything in between. Um, how am I going to lead all of those characters and help them to be successful and healthy? I'm not. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to do that. That has to be God. Mm. And I've got, I've got to learn how to get out of the way. And uh, it's simplified. I, I have a lot less anxiety putting a lesson together. Right. Um, I have a lot less worry. I can enjoy my family. I can go out of town and not think that everything's going to fall apart. That's small church stuff. You know, um, we feel like everything is, is, is hitching on every decision that we make. And, um, and I've gotten caught up in that a lot. Um, so oh, that's a, yeah, that's take a great risk, big jump. Yeah. Just jump. No, those are, all, those are all good, but I like this idea of surrendering control because I think for those who want leadership or small church leaders, there's a tendency to, I mean, you're in charge of a lot of things. You're, you're, you're in charge by definition. I mean, you, you're there, but the problem is, is that, all the drama goes, gets funneled straight to you and you feel like you're the solution for everything rather than just going, Hey, listen, I'm just a, I'm a tool. I'm a, I'm a part of the, part of the solution. I'm, I'm one, uh, tool that God can use, but not the only tool. I think that's awesome, awesome advice and just relaxing because that's, you know, and that that's been leading to a high attrition rate, even more high attrition rate in ministry because there's so much pressure and, there's a tons of pressure on ministers. And, and so that's, that's fantastic, Matt. Thank you so much for your time and thank oh, you for welcome. the great work you're doing that. Yeah. Great to get to know you. And I look forward to yeah, seeing yeah. you at the climb small church leadership conference. Yep. We've got a, a few from Florida coming. So that's awesome. A lot of my buddies have signed up and are, are, are going to be a part of that. So that's thank exciting. you. Thanks for listening. Here's how you can help support the program. First of all, hit the subscribe button. Secondly, Read and review one of my books, How to Plant and Grow a Church, or Courage, How to Make This Life Count. You can find them on Amazon.com. Thirdly, support the program financially by clicking the link in the show notes and selecting the general fund. Your tax-deductible gift is going to help me to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no-regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day, and make this life count.